handheld vacuum. Scale. You thought you'd seen it all. You didn't think we could add a cheese grater, an electric air pump, a lip balm dispenser, a beard and nose hair trimmer, or a taser. You never thought you'd be performing LASIK surgery on yourself, fishing, or rotisserieing a chicken. What could we possibly add to a phone that can launch itself into suborbital spaceflight, predict the weather, detect the smell of fear, and indicate who your soulmate will be with 97% accuracy? How could it possibly get any better? Well, it has. Our latest accessory is Intercessory. A gentle electrical jolt reminds you to pray without ceasing. If you're unsure of who or what to pray for, just give it a shake and let random apps of kindness pick for you. Or, if you just don't have time, use one of our pre-recorded prayers for all occasions. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for this food. Thy phone. Solving life's dilemmas. One 3G prayer at a time. Yeah, God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for the food. That's one of the deepest prayers of all times, right? Uh, today we're going to talk. We're starting a new series called Deep and Wide. I'm just a little bit. Take me down just a little, Jeff. I, I got a little feedback going on. Um, we're going to talk about um, how God desires us to have depth as Christ followers, but He also wants our church to grow wide at the same time. And so we're going to talk about these next three weeks. How do we do that? How do we go deep and feed uh, not just spiritual babies, but how would, how do we feed those people who are already mature in the faith? And how do we continue to reach out? Because Jesus Christ spent his life reaching out. He said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. And so we're supposed to do both. We're supposed to go deep. We're supposed to go wide. We're going to talk about that. Well, today we're going to talk about intimacy with God. And, and this intimacy word is something that we don't understand. And, and as I was thinking about this, let me, let me just kind of explain it this way. There comes a point in every relationship where you've got to DTR. Y'all know what that is, right? Define the relationship, right? Now think back. Some of you got to think way back. I've, I've been married for 21 years, 21 and a half. And so it was a long time ago when, when I dated someone other than my spouse. So I date my spouse now. But way back when I was dating, there, were, there would come a time where a girl would want to DTR. I never, never wanted to DT, DTR. Did not want to go there because it was really awkward. And so it would usually come, you know, we're sitting in, in, in an apartment and we're watching TV and, and she'd say, so where do you think this deal's going? I'd say, what deal? You know, she, where do you see us in five years? And I'm like, five years? I don't know where I see us in five days, you know? And, and I just, I didn't, I didn't like these things because they were very awkward and I usually had to lie. I mean, quite honestly, that's what I would do. The girl would say, well, you know, I, I really like you. And, and I'd say, I, as long as I like, I was all right with that. I really like you too, you know? And, and, dude, if they mentioned that L word, I would almost vomit on them. And then I'd have to say, yeah, I love you too. You know, and, and I would. I would say it like that because I was just lying. I didn't, I didn't want to break up, but I sure didn't want to commit to anything for life. And, and so I had these issues that, that I had to go through. And, and uh, um, it, just, it just got awkward. You know, and she mentioned marriage. We were done. Within seven days, I would, I would break up with a girl who mentioned marriage. It was just the way it was. There were three girls before Janie who told me their ring size, told me what kind of diamond I was supposed to get, ring size and all that stuff. And I'm going, clock's ticking, you know, because we were done. I just couldn't go there. I wasn't ready for marriage. Well, Janie and I had a couple of these DTR moments. One happened at the end of her sophomore year in college. Now, I was, I was out of college and I was in Austin. She was at uh, Sam Houston State. And uh, she calls me up. And in her mind... 
She was going to either come see me because this was right before her summer break. She just finished, you know, the, the spring semester. She was going to come see me or I was going to come see her. Well, I already had plans. I hadn't talked to her. I didn't know that she had these assumptions that I was going to, we weren't, you know, we were kind of, we would go out when we'd see each other, but we dated other people, all that stuff. Well, I had plans to go see my buddy in Abilene and she becomes agitated with me that I'm not coming to see her. And I'm thinking, I didn't even know you wanted to come see me. And, you know, and I just got kind of irritated and she was pushing me. And I said, we're done. I said, we don't need to see each other anymore. And she goes, well, fine. Hung up the phone. I was like, well, done with that. And honestly, I, I never really thought a whole lot about her. Now, I, I was thinking about this. I wrote down that I didn't speak to her at all for a year and a half. That's not entirely true. About six months later on a Friday night, I got a dog because I was a loser. I didn't have anybody to date and you know, I wasn't going to go to bars and all that stuff. So I got a dog and me and my dog are playing in my living room. And the phone rings and, and it's Janie. And it's like 8 p.m. on a Friday night. And I said, did you just assume I was at home by myself on a Friday night? She goes, yep. <laughs> and... Uh, I said, well, thank you very much. Unfortunately, you were right. Um, but, but we really didn't talk much after that. So she went her way. I went my way. And uh, about a year and a half later, after we'd broken up, at, she was about to go into her senior year. I was dating this girl, and, man, she wanted to get married. And, and so finally on, on uh, July 4th, I'll never forget this, on July 4th, I'd gone to hang out with a bunch of... This is, how, this is how bad I was. I went to hang out with a bunch of church members, and she tagged along, and I did that so I didn't have to spend time with the girl that I was dating, you know, so I could do other stuff. And so I take her home, and, and she calls me as soon as I get home, and she goes, what's going on with us? And I said, I said do you want the truth? And she goes, yeah, and I said... There's absolutely nothing going on with us. And she said, well, well maybe, we need to, maybe we need to take a break. And I said, when we take a break, we're done. I, this isn't going anywhere. So she gets all upset and all that stuff. So um, I really started praying because I was tired of this. I, I was 25 at the time, and I was really tired of doing things my way. And so I really did. I started praying. I, I just kind of got by myself because I, I lived in a house by myself. And I would pray at night and I had a prayer journal and I was writing stuff down. And I was praying and, and I said, God, I'm so sick of this dating scene. Now, this was this was 20 something years ago. I, I can't imagine the dating scene today. I said, I'm just tired of this. And, and God, I'm telling you right now, I want to do things your way. God, if you want me to be single, then I'll be single the rest of my life. I won't like it, but I'll be single. I just totally surrender to you, God. If you, if you put somebody in my life who, who is somebody that's pursuing you, that you want me to marry, I'll marry that person, whoever she is. I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do, God. I'm just sick of the dating game. I don't like it. And so um, the, the music minister and I, I was a youth minister at church in Austin. We went to this conference in Waco. And, and I don't even know why. Just something about going onto the campus. Janie had come to my uh, graduations to Waco Hall. So we went over to Waco Hall. And, and I just had this, this feeling that I was like, Janie Gardner? Hadn't talked to her in a while. And, you know, I was like, yeah, she's cute. And, and I didn't think a whole lot of it. And, but for the next like two or three weeks, I was really praying. I was going, God, whatever. And everywhere I went, something popped up that reminded me of Janie or somebody would mention her name or, you know, just stuff was happening. And so finally, after a while, I thought, well, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to call her. So I call her up. She's, she's about to start her senior year. And uh, I call her and, and she's, were you taking a bu- bubble bath? Shaving my legs. Well, I wasn't going to share that part. She was shaving her legs. <laughs> bubble bath sounded better. But anyway, so she's shaving her legs. She tells her roommate. 
And, and I, I knew who her roommate was. She, I call her roommate answers. She had told her roommate, do not disturb me for any reason. I don't want to talk to anybody. So Terry goes in the bathroom. She says, um, phone's for you. And Janie said, I said, I don't want to talk to anybody. And Terry said, I think you want to talk to this one. And so <clears throat> hands her the phone. And, and anyway, I, I wanted to go see her. And she's pretty smart. She was testing me for three weeks. She had excuses, three weeks, why I couldn't come see her. And, and I'm going, dang, what's up with this girl? And so finally, after three weeks, you know, she, because little did I know, the same time I had prayed, God, I'm sick of doing this, this dating thing. She prayed the same thing, walking across campus at Sam Houston. And she said, God, wherever you want me to go, whomever you want me to marry, I'm ready to do stuff your way. I didn't know that at the time. And she was testing me to see if I was, if I was serious about wanting to come see her, if I was still playing games. So I come and see her and, and I hadn't seen her in a year and a half. And, and actually almost two years by that time. And, and I'd, I, I, first thing I did was I looked in her eyes and I said, I'd forgotten how beautiful your eyes were. And I laid this big fat kiss on her. And uh, we went out to eat and we came back. And I remember sitting down on the couch in her apartment. And I said, okay, this is something I'd never done before. But guys, I, I highly suggest that you, you do something like this when you get ready to do what God wants you to do. I said, Janie, um, I just got to be real up front with you right now before we go any further. I cannot date you without the possibility of marrying you because I'm just tired of, of playing games. And she goes, fine with me. <laughs> and I was like, sweet, that went better than I expected. And so uh, four months later, we were engaged. And then six months after that, we were, we were married. And we've had a lot of the DTRs since then. Every now and then, every relationship needs to define where you are. And um, Gary Smalley is, is a respected marriage counselor. And I've been to his conferences. I've read tons of his books. I've used them in marriage counseling, premarital counseling, all of those things. And he said that, that every woman has a built-in marriage guide put there by God. And, and what he says is, guys, every now and then we need to look at our spouses and we need to say on a scale of 1 to 10, where are we? Tens being we are just rocking on all cylinders. Everything's going great. One is we're sucking wind. Where are we? And he said that then you need to ask a second question, not just know where you are. A second question is, what could we do over the next six months that would move us closer to a 10? And he said, I've never found a woman yet who couldn't give you specific things that you could do. And so whenever I do marriage counseling, I'm always asking guys, well, what does your wife have to say? Give me, give me some things. And, and sometimes I just stop and I say, what could you do over the next six months? Almost every time, you know what the number one ingredient that a marriage needs? Time. Now, prayer, yes, time with God, but time with one another. You cannot kindle a fire of passion, of compassion without time together. And so first thing on your listening guide is intimacy requires time. Now, guys, I'm just going to tell you something that's, that's earth shattering today. This is, this is brilliant. This is, this is something that will rock your world. For whatever reason, your wife wants time with you. I don't know why. I, I don't understand why my wife wants time with me. But if our relationship is going to be what it needs to be, it requires time. And you can't have quality time without some quantity time. One of the things we like so much about going on a cruise, we get a table for two. We do everything just the two of us. If we happen to meet some people, we'll say hi to them. You know, we'll be cordial and all that stuff. But we just like spending time together. And, and as we sit there at the table, 
she got sick on this last cruise and had to go back and, and, and be sick in the room. You talk about feeling like a loser at a table for two on a cruise by yourself. I'm eating. It was good. I was wanting to tell the waiter, man, this stuff's good. You know, didn't have anybody talk to this one night. We like spending time together. Well, here's the crazy thing. Your heavenly father desires time with you more than anything else. He loves you and he wants to have time with you. The Bible presents God as one who desires with all of his heart to have this very close relationship with his children, with his creation. But time after time, creation is pictured as stiff-arming God and saying, no, you can't go there. We're not going to go there. And they have this, this, we have, Christ followers have this relationship with God that can be described as polite, respectful, and casual. Now, ladies, how many of you would love to stand up and say, my marriage is polite, it's respectful, and it's generally casual? How many of you ladies just say, I want that, I desire that? I don't see any. Neither does your Heavenly Father want a relationship like that. In the Bible, God is pictured in several ways. One is a loving father who longs for a messed up relationship to be restored. It's the story of the prodigal son. We studied that back in February. Three weeks we spent on that. And what is the father doing? He's looking. The relationship is jacked up. It's broken. And he's standing there. He's longing for that son to come home. That's the picture of your heavenly father. The Bible shows uh, pictures God as a shepherd who not only loves his sheep, he would do anything to protect them and bring them back into the fold. In fact, when 99 are safe, the Bible pictures God as going out and, and into incredible dangers to rescue one lost sheep and put it back in the fold. And I was in a conference this week and, and I heard some stuff about sheep and I can't wait to get this book. Sheep are not dumb. They're very smart, but they're also very loyal and they also know the voice of their shepherd. And they come running. She was talking about this shepherdess and, and she would go out and she would call. And all the sheep would come. And, and th- at first they were whispering. She says, why are we whispering? She said, because if they hear my voice, they'll come running across the field to be near their shepherd. And so then she calls, you know, after when at the right time she says sheep and whatever she says, they all come running to her and one of them's missing. And she, she starts introducing this lady to all of the sheep. Oh, that's Martha. And starts telling them about the personality. She knows every one of them by name. And then she counts and one's missing. She said, oh, and I don't even remember the name of the one. She said, that one's missing. And she goes all over the fields and finds this sick sheep. And most of the shepherds, they said, would have put this one down. She carried that sheep home and she nursed it for three weeks back to health. Because the good shepherd not only knows their sheep, they would do anything to restore a relationship with, with one that's, that's uh, gone astray. And then God is also pictured in the Garden of Eden, very start, when the first relationship with humans was severed. What does God do when he comes down from heaven? He says he's walking through the garden searching for the broken people because he wants to restore the relationship. What does he do as soon as he finds them? He takes an innocent animal and slays it. It's the first foreshadowing of of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. It's the very first time. Because can you imagine? Adam and Eve, this was a perfect environment until they sinned. They'd never seen death. And God went and slayed an animal to cover up their nakedness. And it was this foreshadowing that an innocent third party would have to die. Blood would have to be spilled to cover the sins of wayward sheep, wayward people. 
And, and I just want you to realize that God loves flawed people. And in fact, I found a video uh, this week. I saw it at the conference, and I wanted to show it to you about um, how God uses flawed people. Watch this. All right, next up, um, King David. Thanks for coming, King David. What qualifies you to be our next small group leader? What was that word you used uh, before my name? Uh, King? Yeah, King, right. How many of those am I up against? My strengths. Uh, Plagues. I'm pretty good with the staff. Can't decide who gets the last brownie? Cut it in two. Boom. Wisdom. Um, Party large bodies of water. Desert survival skills. Weaknesses. (laughs) Weaknesses. Mountain climbing. Um, Commandment retrieval. Does that look weak to you? And I can make a pretty mean goat sausage. Okay, I mean, maybe haircuts. Women. Booze isn't. (laughs) So I lied. I said my wife was my sister. They were going to kill me. Why are we even getting into this? I'm just not sure we're comfortable with you in a leadership position. Look, it, it, Jesus Christ himself called you Satan. He was trying to make a point. Get thee behind me, Satan, I believe is the exact quote. Bathsheba. I knew you were going to go there. It was a rock to the back of the head. I really regret that it happened. And that's when you slept with the maid? My wife said she was fine with it. Abraham. What? Come on. Okay, timeline. Um, first, I slept with his wife. No, 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 no. I didn't kill Christians. Then I lied to him. I was just watching people's coats. Then I had him killed, okay? They killed Christians. It's a long time ago. Besides, that was a different guy. That was Saul. <laughs> I've ever killed anyone. What? You got somebody giving you beef? Huh? You knew something taking care of? Where's the app? Yo, bring it, huh? Didn't you deny Christ three times? No. I'm pretty sure you did. No. Yeah, I'm almost positive. Uh, no. Okay, I did. No, I never killed anyone. Why would you even ask that question? This is the guy. Hold on, I... I mean, I do have some questions about my qualifications. I've never been to seminary. Oh, you'll do fine. I really don't have a whole lot of experience. Do you love God? Yeah. Do you want to help people? Sure. Do you have a harem? No, I don't have a harem. (laughs) All right, we're good then. Thank you. Let me me think about this. (laughs) Oh, Oh, wait a second. Look who has them. Still got the tablets. Well, a humorous look at the fact that we're all flawed, right? And, and God still pursues us. The Bible shows the Heavenly Father pursuing a relationship with you and me that's deeper than anything we can imagine. But we turn our backs on Him. From cover to cover, your, your Heavenly Father wants a relationship you, with you that is not casual. It's not generally respectful. It's not distant. He wants intimacy. And if you turn to the book of Revelation, um, there's a a series of letters to different churches there. We're going to look at at chapter 3. And um, (laughs) the message to the church at Laodicea is, you're good people, you're respectful people, and that's not what I want. 
I want something deeper. In uh, chapter 3, verse 15, God says this. This is what the letter says to the church at Laodicea. I know what you do, that you are not hot or cold. I wish that you were hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am ready to spit you out of my mouth. For years, I've taught this. This literally means vomit you out of my mouth. You're not one or the other, so you make me sick. He said, you say, I am rich. I have become wealthy and do not need anything, but you do not know that you're really miserable, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This was a group of people who had everything except an intimate relationship with God. And God says, man, that's awesome that you've got all these riches. It's awesome that you have these great um, uh, companies that, that make all of these sales and do all of these things. Really, though, spiritually, where it matters in the intimacy department, you're pitiful, poor, miserable, blind, and naked. Now, you've got to understand, this was written to a group of Christians, a church, just a few years after Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. And God says, I'm messed up about our relationship because you won't go one way or the other. You're just kind of right in the middle. You're good people. You go to a good church, but you make me sick because our, our relationship is not even close to what I want it to be. In verse 17, God says, you think things are going well because your bank account looks good. You good Christian people, but you're missing the point. What you are pursuing will leave you empty. And if you skip down to verse 20, what are we missing? Jesus says, here I am. Hello, Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with you and you will eat with me. I want you to circle those words, here I am. Jesus says, I know you're busy. I know you're religious, but here I am. The alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the source of all life, of blessing and power. Here I am. And you know what I'm doing? This is a remarkable picture. He's, he's right in church. Turn the, turn the lights up. The picture is, you're going to have to turn it down because I'm right here. Picture is Jesus is on the outside of the church, knocking on the door, trying to get into the church. And nobody will open the door. Why in the world would Jesus knock on the door of his own church? Why has he not been invited into his own church? See, here's, here's what he's saying. He says, I can, I can do a lot of things. I can force you to obey. I can give you all kinds of stuff. I can take all kinds of things away from you. But there's one thing God's saying I cannot do. I can't make you love me. So he's knocking on the door. Seeing if anybody will open it up. I can take anything from you. I can give you anything. God is searching for the relationship he had at the very beginning with Adam and Eve before they messed it up with sin. He's searching for the relationship that he's going to have again at the end. The one he's provided a way for through Jesus Christ. Because he can't make you love him. Here's the picture. Knocking on the door of a gathering of religious people. Saying, I want in. I don't want in like you talk about me. I don't want in one of the speakers this week said in the church where, you know, the pastor is kind of like the quarterback. And he said, here's the picture of the church that I see. The church is like gathers together. The quarterback gets in the huddle, calls the play and everybody goes, oh, that's a good play break. And they run to the sidelines and leave the pastor to run the play. Is that a, is that a pretty good picture of what you've seen in churches? When the biblical picture is. We come together, get in the huddle. And do you know who's actually supposed to do ministry? The church. Read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. 
God gave pastors and teachers to the church to equip the church to do the work. And so this guy said this. I love this. He said, I tell people that I left the ministry when I became a pastor. His job now is to equip you to be ministers. You see the difference? Only organization in the world that's like that. God can't make us love him. And so God says, I don't want to, you just to talk. I don't want you just to gather on Sundays. Woo-hoo, sing the songs, raise your hands, pray. Oh, what a great service and go home and do nothing. That's a bunch of blah, 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 blah. God says, I want a deep relationship that affects you more in the 95% of your life that's spent outside the walls of the church than just the 5% on Sundays and maybe on Wednesdays. What we've done as Christians, not just Christians, but all belief systems. Here's what we've done. We've settled for religion instead of a relationship. We could have intimacy with God if we wanted it, but we've settled for religion. See, religion reduces everything to a formula. Go to church on Sunday morning. This is how, this is how it went where I grew up. I grew up in a, in a uh, missionary Baptist church until I was in third grade and we left and went to a Southern Baptist church. Here, here was the formula. Come on Sunday mornings. Anybody in their right mind back in the 70s went to church on Sunday morning. Because we're in the Bible Belt. We're here in Texas. And any good person went to church. Now, you separated the good from the really good by who came back on Sunday nights. And then if you wanted to go step higher in your crown, you know, bigger crown, then you came to Tuesday night visitation. Then you came to Wednesday night prayer meeting. And then if you were one of those people that also taught Sunday school and maybe you gave a, a tithe of your income to the church and, and you would stand up and pray sometimes at the meals or maybe the pastor would call you, you're a deacon, you come up and you pray over the offering. And, and then maybe um, when, when you went home, you prayed meals at home with your family. And then, you know, if you sinned, you were one of those people that said, oh God, I have sinned. Sainthood, baby. You do all of that, God has to bless you. Now, I'm not saying there weren't some people who did all that out of a pure heart, but the people I know that were in church back when I was there, many of them aren't even in church anymore because they got tired of doing the formula and not having intimacy with God, not having a relationship with God. And and if you follow this whole thing to its logical conclusion, you know what happens? Religion becomes, I do the formula, I do A plus B equals C in order to get God to do for me what I want Him to do for me. Because religious people are very self-centered people. It's about me. Religious people, it's all about me. I do, I do the right words. I say the right words and phrases. I do the right rituals so that God has to do what I want Him to do. It's not about heaven. It's not about hell. It's not about anything but me. I want God to make me healthy, wealthy, and wise. And I want God to make my family healthy, wealthy, and wise. I don't want to have any problems. That's the goal of religion. Me. You know, as a parent, it disgusts me. Makes me want to vomit. Literally. When my kids are selfish and they fight because it's all about me. And that's exactly what God is saying. As our Heavenly Father, He says, because you become selfish and you don't, you don't care about a relationship with me, our relationship makes me want to vomit. Because it's not one or the other. It's not hot. It's not cold. You're just kind of mediocre. You're just kind of lukewarm. And God says, I don't want that. <laughs> here's, here's what happens. If you're religious long enough, you decide that you know exactly what God is like. 
And you know God likes certain things and God doesn't like certain things. And so, because God doesn't like certain things, if some people you see are doing these certain things, you decide not that you don't like the certain things. You decide you don't like the people because they're ungodly. They're unholy. And if we're really honest today, there's a lot of religious people who really wish they could do some of the things that non-religious people are doing. Irreligious people are doing, they're jealous of that and they can't do it. And so instead of hating the sin, they hate the sinner. I'll just hate you because you have more freedom than I do in religion. So it poses a dilemma. If I'm religious and religion doesn't work, but if I go with the crowd and that doesn't work either, what do I do? Well, look what Jesus said in John chapter 16 about religious people. I have told you these things to keep you from giving up. People... Okay, this is real important. What people? Religious people. Religious people will put you out of their synagogues. Yes, the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are offering service to God. Religious people, Jesus was saying in his day, are going to kick you out of church, keep you from going to church because you're not religious. And, And they'll kill you. I mean, that's where religion goes, right? And you think, wow, that's that's kind of drastic. Okay, who killed Jesus? Technically, it was the Romans. But who was leading the charge? It was the religious people. And they thought they were doing God a favor. You saw the the funny thing with Paul there. Paul thought he was doing God a favor as he was rounding up Christians and watching them die or be thrown into jail. He thought he was helping God out as if God can't protect himself. The the, the people who killed Stephen, one of the first deacons in in Acts chapter 7, they killed him because he wasn't religious like them. And one of the most amazing things, he looks up into heaven. The Bible says that he sees Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God the Father. And, and Stephen, proving that he had the intimacy thing right, he goes, Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. Who does that sound a lot like? The religious people killed one of the most spiritually intimate people who's ever walked the face of the planet. Nowadays, we've got folks flying planes into buildings In the name of Allah. And they say it pleases him when they kill innocent folks. That's what religion will do. That's the danger of religion. And look at what Jesus, his explanation of why religion is so dangerous in verse 3 of John 16. They will do this because they have not known the Father and they have not known me. There is a huge difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. I know a lot about both George Bush's. I've read part of one of their books. What do you think will happen if I just show up at the door today in Dallas? Or George is at his Crawford Ranch and I try to show up. Secret Service will take me down because it doesn't matter. How, well, I know this and this. I could, I could tell them all kinds of facts about him. But you don't know the man. If you don't back off, you're going to be in serious trouble. <laughs> James, or Wes, who's back there? Bring me that chair, please. You have that back there, Michelle? I've got to explain it this way. Religious people are quite often, you have to turn the stage lights up, like the folks who sit in this chair. You know this as a high chair. I call this the eye chair. Now you think about, thank you, Wes. You're welcome, Doug. You're awesome. Don't let anybody tell you you're not. No, he's not going to sit in I'm not sitting in it either. The last two times I've done that, I've broken. I want you to think about your child or a child that you know as they sit in this high chair. 
Are they concerned about anything that goes on outside of the high chair? What is a child concerned about? What's on the tray or what better be on the tray soon, right? They're consumed with themselves. Religious people sit in this chair. And religious people say, it's not enough for the pastor to preach the word of God. The pastor needs to feed me personally and be at my every beck and whim and answer the phone when I call. It's giving Nathan a hard time because he'll leave stupid messages. Can't believe I need my pastor and he doesn't answer the phone. (laughs) Aren't you glad you came today, Nathan? But religious people are consumed with this and they say, everybody else can go to hell as long as I get what I need. That's where religion leads. According to Jesus Christ, people who sit in this this eye chair, religious people, have not known God. So you better not build a church filled with eye chair people because you'll have a church full of folks busting open the gates of hell. And it's not going to be a pretty sight. You can't grow a healthy church focusing on religious people. And, and if you've been here any amount of time, you know that we, we've done a series called The Table. And it's about time for me to pull the table back out. But the table says that a healthy church is made up of thirds. A third in the first chair are, are hell-bound people. And, and you know, can I be real honest? I'm going to be whether you say yes or not. There are times, there are a lot of times I'd rather hang out with lost people than with religious people. I'd rather, I'd rather somebody just be real honest with me than putting on masks and playing games. We should have a third lost people come into our church. We should build a church where lost people feel they can come and have questions answered. Because I grew up in churches where you don't ask questions. Uh, if, if, if God is a God of love, how come there's pain and, and suffering in the world? You just need more faith, young man. Shut up. Come out, demon. I'm serious. This is how we reacted to stuff. And so we got to where we wouldn't ask questions. And as a kid, I was always that type. I'm like, this doesn't make sense to me. You just need to have a little more faith. And I got in some trouble at seminary because I would ask questions. And and a a seminary professor would stand up. One of my best friends, he's like, dude, you need to shut up. Because if a seminary professor said something I thought was stupid, I would say, I don't agree with that. And, and I've been a questioner my whole life. And so I love people who ask questions and I try to dig into the scriptures and come up with answers. You have a third lost people, hellbound, cocaine snorting, skirt chasing, lost people. This ought to be the place that they come. And if they're not coming, there ought to be some Christ followers going out and finding them. And saying, man, just come check this out. Just come give it a try. There ought to be a third of of people who are um, brand new Christians. Because here's the thing. If Jesus said, if you lift me up, if I be lifted up before all men, I will draw all men unto myself. We believe that if you hear the dangerous message of Jesus Christ long enough, because it makes sense. It is a thinking man's relationship and religion, Christianity is. I've studied all the world religions. And this is the only one that really makes sense to a thinking man. 
And so we believe that if you hear about it enough, God's going to convict your heart, your mind, your questions are going to be answered. You're going to step out in faith and you're going to become a Christ follower. And you're going to be a brand new Christian. We've got to help grow you up. And then we believe a third should be mature followers. And, and here's the thing. You can't move from baby Christian to mature Christian without getting up off your butt and serving. And actually serving lost people. It's why we try to do stuff out in the community from time to time. Because we get real comfortable in here. Preach it, Doug. Preach it. And we go out and we're no stinking different than when we came in. And God says, that makes me sick. We got way too many religious people. We need some folks who are intimate with God. And, And I'll just tell you, again, yesterday, sitting in my chair praying... I said, God, whatever you want to do with me, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. How long has it been since you've prayed a prayer like that? I'm afraid he'll send me to Africa. (laughs) Maybe Haiti. We were talking to Ryan and Mandy, and Ryan was saying, man, when you talked about Haiti, I was going, I'm not going to Haiti. He told Mandy, you're not going to Haiti. We're not going to Haiti. We are not going to Haiti. He went to Haiti two years ago. Last year, he brought Mandy and and William with him. And he's in love with the place now. See, God's not going to call you to do something that you're going to hate. I'm just going to tell you that when God calls you to do something, it will thrill your soul, and you'll want to do it for the rest of your life. And there's a high there that, that drugs and alcohol and, and, and illicit sex cannot, cannot compare to. There's this spiritual high. When I go back to Haiti this next summer and I see Joe Odney, he's my friend. He's about seven. Hopefully he'll have teeth now. First year he was losing teeth. Last year he had no teeth. And so he, he'll come and jump on my back. He'll recognize me. And I just think, oh, I would adopt the kid and bring him home if I could. There's nothing like being called by God. Religion will kill you. Religion will make you a a judgmental old person. It'll alienate you from God. It'll make God a stranger to you. So real quick, what are some things we need to do? Three things you can do for any relationship that needs intimacy. Unrushed, unstructured time. No agenda. I'm hanging out with you because I want to time. And so I'm just going to ask you real quickly. I'm going to ask you to do this again in a minute. But how much unstructured, unhurried time have you had with God in the last seven days? I could spend ten minutes with you and I could could give you a real close indication of how much time you spent with God. Because of the way you talk. Because of the way you carry yourself. Because the Bible says as we spend time with God, this stuff starts to happen on the inside and we begin to reflect God to others. He says the more time you spend with Him, the more He transforms you to look like Jesus Christ. Second thing, transparency. That means I'm real. You don't talk in formulas with your friends. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for the food. Jesus gave us a model prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. He he never intended for us to repeat that when we needed a prayer and we didn't know what to pray. He wants us to be real. And and see, when you tell God how you're feeling, He never goes, really? I had no idea you were feeling that way. Because the Bible says He knows your thoughts. He knows the words before you form them on your tongue. He just wants you to be honest. 
And where, where there's transparency, you get, you get all of me, the good and the bad. I get all of you, the good and the bad. And, and we go deep real fast. Third thing is submission. Oh my goodness, this is the most powerful relational dynamic in the world. Here's, here's mutual submission. It says, I'm going to harness all my talents and energy for your good. And you harness all your talents and energy for my good. Where a couple does that, they have a God-honoring marriage. Where friends do that, they have a bond. The Bible says that there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's someone who's mutually submitting to one another. You go to a, another level fast. Reason some of you are afraid to submit to God? Bottom line, you don't know Him. You don't really know God. And... uh Here's the thing. Here's the thing we don't realize. God has already submitted to you. He looked down at you and he said, There's, they have no hope of having a relationship with me, so I'm just going to throw off the glory of heaven. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become obedient to my Father and I'm going to take the form of a human being. I'm going to give up everything, all of the adoration, all of the glory of heaven. I'm going to come in the form of a baby. I'm going to come out of a womb. I'm going to be laid in a manger. I'm going to live a sinless life and I'm going to relentlessly pursue humans knowing that they might reject me. And I'm going, to, I'm going to stretch out my arms on the cross and I'm going to die as the substitute for their sins knowing that many of them are going to thumb their noses at me and turn their backs on me. God says, I'm willing, your sin is more important than my glory and I'm going to die for you. So God says, I've made the first move. Now it's your turn. God says, I've submitted all of my talents and my energy. I've given everything for you. It's your move. So how deep do you want to be today? Do you want to continue following the religion path? Or do you want to come become intimate with the one who created you? Bow your heads for just a moment. I want you to define the relationship with God. And I'm going to ask you to write this on your, your cards in just a second. Scale of 1 to 10. 10 is God and I couldn't be any closer. Where are you in your relationship with God? We've talked about what it takes to get close to God, so you've got some decisions to make today. And, you know, the choices are... To spend some unrushed, unstructured time with God. To be transparent and to submit. And some of you need to pray some R-rated prayers to God. You just need to get it out there. He already knows what you're thinking. And then you need to choose to submit and say, God, I know you've, you've made the first move. Here's my life in return. Take it and use it however you see fit. I know some people in this room do not know Christ. And the Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Got to talk to two guys in jail yesterday and I told them both. Dude, regardless of what's going on, you can be free for eternity inside that jail cell. If you'll ask Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. The Bible says you just do that. You admit you're a sinner. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know Jesus Christ died. And I want to accept him as my substitute for my sin. That's what you say. If you pray that, the Bible says that there will be this rejoicing in heaven. There will be a party in heaven because the angels rejoice when one lost sheep 
comes back to the shepherd. Father, take your word and multiply it in our hearts and our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.